Well, let's give the Lord one more good hand today. He indeed is worthy of our praise. Well, tell your neighbor you are looking good today. We have been doing a series called Spiritual Terrorism. It is about winning a battle against an unseen enemy. The Bible is very clear. There is a God. There is a devil. And uh, we as human beings are oftentimes caught in the middle in this warfare. Uh, in this, in this uh, uh, series, we've been doing some biblical case studies of different biblical characters, seeing how Satan influenced their lives. If you remember, we first talked about Judas. There's an astounding phrase that said, Satan entered Judas. Not an exorcist-type possession, but somehow he was able to control and manipulate Judas for a handful of silver coins, and he betrayed Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about Eve. You remember the first temptation, kind of the anatomy of a fall, how, how temptation works, how it happens. And uh, this week, we're going to continue in a case study about a man named David. David was a man who loved God dearly. He was a, a king in Israel. But he succumbed to one of what I believe is one of the greatest temptations we face today in America, and that's sexual temptations. You see, we live in a world today, and this is particularly hard because um, the world has no sexual boundaries. The world is just basically says, if you like it, go for it, as long as there's consenting adults. But the Bible is very different, and I'm going to do my best today to teach you what the Bible says about a, a controversial subject. Uh, I had an advantage last night as I, I had a red shirt, so they couldn't see when my face turned red. And all I have to hide behind today is my handkerchief. So if I feel like my face turning red, I'm going to do like that. How about that? I think you're going to enjoy it today. It, it is controversial, though, because the world and what it teaches us, what it teaches our children, is diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches about this wonderful experience of sexual intimacy that God has given to a husband and wife. We're going to explore it today. I've got like 16 scriptures. I think I'll be able to give you today a good solid biblical understanding. Uh, we'll talk first about uh, uh, the biblical foundation of, of uh, sexual intimacy, of human sexuality. And then we'll look at a man named David and we'll see how David succumbed to temptation and the costly price that it paid and we're going to find some lessons that will help us in it. There's a central truth that I want to communicate to you as I do in every message. And today it's this, is it will be better off if we respect God's boundaries for sexual temptation. Let's, go, let's talk about it today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis is historically known as the book of beginnings. It is known as, as God's uh, first expression uh, about human life, about how the earth got here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. God was pre-existent. He existed before the world was created, and God is the creator. Hence, Genesis also discloses where human beings came from. Uh, we are not the product of millions of years of evolution, yet you and I are the product of the creative hand of God that began with Adam and Eve and continues into this day. But uh, let's, uh, let's look, Genesis chapter 1, and I want to speak to you first about the biblical view of human sexuality. And here's one that virtually everyone would agree with other than an atheist, and that's this. God designed our bodies for sexual pleasure and for childbearing. If you drop God from the equation, even an atheist would agree with that. 
is that God designed us, or we were designed to enjoy the experience of being sexually intimate, and uh, its purpose is childbearing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created human beings in his own image. God created us, but notice what it says. He said he created us how? Male and female. God created us male and female. This is the starting place for gender confusion or gender identity. Is that God assigned the gender, God assigned my sex at birth. And when I come to grips with God's involvement in my life, confusion is replaced by peace. Um, Verse 28, though, it says, God blessed them. And God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. It's it's just like uh, in, in slang today, God would say, have sex. Now, if I can't get you to laugh at that, I don't think I'll get you to laugh all day. That's that's what it means, isn't it? And how many know God designed sex to be a pleasurable experience? If sex was painful, there'd be no people. If sex was like getting stuck in the eye with an ice pick or something like that, or somebody punching you in the face, listen, we, 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 we wouldn't be here today. But God is the one that designed us. God is the one that created us male and female, each with different roles in the the sperm and the egg that produces another human being, but also the parts of our body that are enjoyable and that are pleasurable, and it's a good thing. Don't ever tell your children sex is ugly, it's nasty, it's dirty. It's not. It's just intended to be in the boundaries that God God created. Uh, Here's the second thing I want to tell you, and this is where we'll begin to disagree with culture you're going to find that the Bible is in head-on opposition to cultural thought about sexuality, but it begins to drift here. And that's that God blesses sexual intimacy in the marriage of a man and a woman in a lifelong monogamous relationship. Genesis 2.24, again, and this scripture was quoted by Jesus Christ about marriage as well as the Apostle Paul. But Genesis 2 says, a man, a uh, a biological male will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, a biological female. This is God's view of marriage. Notice they each have a father and a mother. This is where conception takes place. This is the safest and the healthiest place for for children to be raised with a father and a mother. Uh, And they will become one body. And that's the picture of a man and a woman in sexual intercourse. Some of you are starting to wiggle on me, squirm a little bit. Let me give you a good one. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. And this is where it ties the temptation into Satan. How many you know the Bible calls one of the names for Satan is tempter? It, scripture says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality. Picture that God has drawn a boundary around the marriage bed and called it sacred and blessed. But the temptation to go outside the boundary, it's called sexual immorality. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Here's the good part. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. In the last service, they were pinching each other there and I had to make them stop. But this is God's plan. But what I want you to see, it's an exclusive arrangement. God said the the sexual needs of of a man would be cared for by his wife, not another man's wife, or not just some girl, but by his wife. Now, God set boundaries, the third point. 
he set boundaries to avoid sinful sexual practices. Um, well, actually, let me back up. Let, let, me, let me back up one. I wanted to read a couple of scriptures to you. Um, Hebrews thirteen four. Now, when we talk about boundaries to avoid sexual practices, I want you to think of what we talked about last week: the Garden of Eden. You remember how God created a tree in the Garden of Eden? And God said, you can eat any tree in the garden, but just don't eat of this one tree. He put a boundary around it. And what happened when they crossed the boundary? They got in trouble. Well, here's Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by who? By all. That's not just those that are in the marriage. That's those outside the marriage. That I should have respect for someone else's wife. Uh, the female should have respect for someone else's husband. Uh, we should have respect. Even if they're single now, they'll be married one day. Our culture should respect this, but our culture doesn't. Uh, virtually in any modern television show you watch, it's sex with anybody, anytime. But that's not God's way. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept what? Pure. And the purity is, is the relationship between the husband and the wife. And then he has a strong word. He says, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral, suggesting that there's a broad category of sexual immorality. Now, uh, God will judge the adulterer. So this idea, uh, a conversation of sexual morality, is very important to God. We might have minimized it in our modern culture as just a, a biological expression or just something people to do to enjoy themselves, but it's pretty important to God. Now, I want you to look at that word, sexually immoral, and I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to be sexually immoral? Now, if you were to ask that in culture today, if you were doing a man-on-the-street interview, you might well get answers like, there's nothing that's immoral. Perhaps you would get one that would say, well, it's immoral for someone that's over 18 to have sex with a child. That's immoral. That'll get you in jail, by the way. But outside of that, everything goes. Wouldn't it be fair to say that's kind of where our culture is right now? Yeah. But let me give you a Bible definition of this word immoral. It's from the Holman Bible Dictionary. It's the Greek word pornos. And pornos sounds like what? Pornography. Yeah. Uh, it's a broad term including any unlawful sexual out activity outside of biblical marriage. Any sexual expression outside of biblical marriage is wrong. But interestingly, it's both heterosexual and homosexual. Sexual immorality includes things like incest, prostitution, adultery, fornication, uh, bestiality. And in Corinthians, Paul takes it a step further. Paul gives us a list and I want to look at these words that are related to sexuality. But 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't be what? Deceived. Deceived. And I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. Is it possible that our culture has deceived us when it comes to God's view of sexual morality? Is it possible that the gist of modern-day sex education for our children is deceptive in nature? Is it possible? Well, sure it is. Uh, here's what Paul says. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. And then that's the word pornos. And then he lists a couple. He lists adulterers, heterosexual, or men who practice homosexuality. Neither will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a strong statement. 
It didn't say neither are unforgivable. God can forgive any sin. But it makes this strong statement about God's kingdom. God's kingdom on this earth and God's kingdom in the world to come. But then he says, look at verse 11. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. And as I've said before you, that's the way that I was. In my late teenage years, 17, 18, and 19, I was an immoral person. That's the way my friends acted. And that's the way I acted. That was just our culture. That's our world. I can't imagine what it's like today. Uh, and that was the world that we lived in. And I'm ashamed to say that even after I became a Christian, that was one of those things in my life that was kind of hard to let go. There were a few things that I just quit. I just did away. I mean, they were just gone. I just knew it was wrong. But there's something about this one that holds on, that doesn't want to let go. So I'm not speaking to you as some guy who's, uh, you know, who's an old fuddy-duddy who doesn't know anything. I'm speaking to you as a guy who's been on both sides of the fence and listen to me, young people, the saddest memories I have in my life today happened from some things that I did when I was 17, 18, and 19. Now, I was a good person. I didn't rape anybody. I didn't murder anybody. But I lived a lifestyle that was away from God, and it impacts me even to this day. Um, he goes on to say this, such were some of you. And I want to tell you today, friends, I've been living the right for decades now. And I would much rather live on this side of the fence than the other. Notice what he says. You were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Jesus. In other words, you that were formerly sexually immoral, God washed you. God cleansed you. God forgave your sin. And aren't you glad there's no sin God can't forgive? Aren't you glad that God can forgive the sin of rape? God can forgive us if we've had an abortion. God can forgive us if we have uh, assaulted someone. Listen, God is a forgiving God. He washed us. But notice what it said. He sanctified us. And sanctified is a word that means he made us holy. In other words, God grew us out of the way we were into the lifestyle that he desires for the Christian to live. And he put his stamp of justification on us. Justification simply means he declares us righteous, and that's by the good hand of God. There's another strong scripture in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21.8, again, it's a longer list, but I draw this one word for today's discussion. It says, the sexually immoral, pornos, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So what are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that uh, uh, immorality can't be forgiven? No. But I am saying that immorality can drag you in a ditch, and it can drag you in a ditch that literally leads you away from God for all eternity. I'm preaching way better than your amening. Listen, God's Word is clear about right and wrong sexual practices, but it's diametrically opposed to our culture. I, I don't listen. If you watch modern television shows, virtually every show, unless it's a documentary about a glacier in Antarctica, <laughs> virtually every modern show has sexual themes in it, and, and 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 it's not just the adult shows. Your children. I read something about Nickelodeon this week, and I was shocked, the uh, of what they're bringing to children at an earlier and at an earlier age. Uh, you don't think our world is opposite from this. How about uh, the, uh, if you've done any exploration of uh, sex education that uh, 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 secular public schools are doing for young children, starting with their kindergarten years and beyond, it is a programming of an anti-biblical view of human sexuality. 
um, this month, Gay Pride Month. And, well, now that I've got your attention, let me ask you a question. Is it possible secular culture is wrong and God's Word, the Bible, is right? Some of us are amening, but I, I want you to ask yourself that question. W what is this book, and what does it mean or represent to us? For some, they couldn't care a lick. But the Bible declares of itself that it's the written Word of God. If I had time, I would go into a lengthy argument why the Bible is a believable book, why educated people can and should believe the Bible, why people that are science-minded can and should believe the Bible. But I simply want to just bring this simple question to your thinking today. When we're talking about what's sexually right and what's sexually wrong, are you influenced by your own personal experience, by the culture, or by God's Word? Now, that's a big, 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 big statement. You see, the world that we live in today would basically shape your thinking in this fashion. Well, that guy up there talking today, he is just a, 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 a white, bigoted old man. And critical race theory would say he's a part of the oppressor group, and he didn't know what he's talking about. So culture puts us in little boxes and none of it has to do with Bible. I want to suggest to you that I'm just someone up here today that loves you. And someone that loves you enough to tell you the truth of God's word. To tell you what the Bible says. But also to tell you that you and I have free choice to believe whatever we want to. You can do whatever you want to do. My job is not to control your life. My job is to tell you what the Bible says. And hopefully that you'll follow it. But it's also to warn you that if you choose to turn your back to it, because let me know it's just possible, come on now, that the Bible is true and that its words are true. I'm banking on that. It's just possible that it's true. And if it is, let me know it is the right way that we should go. And that's the big issue in much of America today. Let me, let me tell you this. Um, your, our motivations for trying to live a sexually pure life, and that means if you're married that you enjoy sexual intimacy in the context of your marriage, and if you're not married that you abstain until you, you, you are married, that you find God's grace. There's two motivations that I have in my relationship with God. One is the fear of God. The fear of consequences. I mean, that scripture in Revelation, that's a pretty strong scripture. Corinthians as well. But I, in my own life, consequences are, are, are not always enough. I need the love of God to motivate me too. I need to know that the Bible was not written by an austere God with a flash water getting ready to smash me when I mess up and not, can't wait to send me to hell. The God of the Bible is a loving God. The God of the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I have a heavenly father that I know, that I speak to every day, and that I know loves me. And you know what I'm cultivating? I'm cultivating my own love for God back. And I know if there's something that displeases God. Listen, when I know things that displease my wife, I love my wife. We've been married 38 years. We've both been sexually pure with one another for 38 years. Uh, tempted? I know I've been tempted. You've not been tempted, have you, honey? No. Told you I married an angel. See, it's one thing 
for a guy to say that because, you know, the wife, you know, he hopes can handle it. But if she said she was tempted, I could not handle it. Come on, when we got in the car, the first question I would ask her is, who was she tempted by? <laughs> you do understand the male ego is a very, very fragile thing. I wouldn't do anything to hurt her. And I'd do everything I can to make her happy. She broke our washing machine the other day. I don't know how she made that bearing go out, but it was making this horrible noise. And we could have looked around and found the cheapest and whatever, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and, and I could have, you know, used the old, honey, we just don't have the money. And she'd have been happy with whatever. You know, that little board that's got the little ripples in it, you know, where you put the clothes and the soap. She'd have been happy. But you know what? I went out and I found the nicest washer machine and, dish, and, a, and dryer that we could afford. Because, not because she washes clothes, but because I want to make her happy. And that's the same motivation that compels me in my relationship with God, whether it comes to sexual purity or unforgiveness or giving or whatever it is, my relationship with God is not motivated because I'm scared he's fixing to whack me and send me to hell. Now that's true. I have the fear of God. But I'm motivated first and foremost by a loving God who has reasons for the boundaries that he gives. He didn't tell Eve to put a boundary around that one tree in the Garden of Eden because he didn't want her eating applesauce. He knew that he, when she crossed the line, there would be things that she had no idea what would he be brought into her life. And have me know that's the God we serve. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let's talk about David now, a case study in one man's struggle with sexual temptation. See, it wasn't so hard to laugh about that a minute ago, was it? Don't you just feel a little better when you got a little looser? Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Wrong place, wrong time. Now, verse 2, he's walking uh, on the roof of the palace, and below him he sees a woman of unusual beauty. She is a hottie taking a bath, and she's not bathing in a burqa, okay? She is taking a bath in, uh, in all her glory, and uh, David uh, uh, went back into the house. Is that what it said? No, he didn't. Uh, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he found out she was Bathsheba, uh, the wife of Uriah. Now, do you know Uriah was one of his friends he was one of his key warriors in his army, and I, have, I forgot to record the note on this, but either Bathsheba or Uriah, both their husband, I mean, both their father and their grandfather were advisors to David. So here we've got a guy, and David knows all the three key men in her life, and lust tells him basically, forget about it, she's hot. So he sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, let's find some lessons that will be helpful here. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. How I many know he should have been out to battle? And the lesson is this. There's just some places and there's some social media sites where temptation is more likely to be there. How I many know we should avoid those places? I mean, there's just some places you go. There's some things that pop up on your phone that you're going to be better off if you erase them. There's some people that you would be better off that you didn't befriend on Facebook. There is a reason when she wanted to like you and be your friend that she didn't have much on above the waist. Come on now. 
she was not wanting to have Bible study together with you, sir. I know you know that. My wife had to tell me, I said, well, honey, uh, <laughs> they need Jesus. I'd like for them to listen to my devotion every day. And she said, yeah, but then the Facebook will tell uh, uh, other people that she's a friend of John Miller. And she didn't think that was a good idea. So I'm a little selective on who my friends are. How many know when you go to Hooters, it's not for the burgers? <laughs> Somebody said last night, I go for the wings. But, but, but okay, my only point is, where you go will influence you in this subject. What you allow in your world. Here's another lesson. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. What we see can awaken lust. Now, I know a woman can be awakened by what she sees as well. But let me tell you, men are on, a, on the 1 to 10 scale. Most men are a 10. And not just young men when testosterone is going through the roof. I'm talking about it's a lifelong problem. And whatever you look at, it can awaken lust. And this is why pornography is so dangerous. Because you will never be satisfied with where you start with pornography. It will always take you to a place that you don't want to go. Job 31, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Maybe that's the same covenant we need to make with our eyes. I wonder what David did when he saw her. I wonder what he was thinking. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we're speculating. But I wonder if a Bible verse came to his mind. I wonder if he had a thought about his other wife. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment. I wonder what came to his mind, or was his mind just filled with thoughts like, man, she's good looking. I'm the king, and I deserve it. I wonder if Satan was whispering in his ear, just like he was talking to Eve. I wonder if Satan said, nobody will find out. I wonder if Satan said, did God really say? Just like he said to Eve. Obviously, we don't know. But there are warning signs that should stop us. I've got a picture of one here that's very practical. You know, do not enter when flooded. I don't know what possessed that person, but uh, something did. But it was a warning sign. Maybe they thought their car had four-wheel drive. Maybe they thought it would float. Maybe they thought it was, wasn't, wasn't deep. But bottom line, what I'm sharing with you today is something that can bring you great joy in the place of marriage or something that can ultimately cause you lots of problems. You're saying, well, he must not have had sex very much. Let me just say, I'm probably as acquainted with the whole subject as you are, okay? I told you I was, not a, worldly per I was a worldly person for a number of years. And if you could allow a guy that's a little older now to give you some advice that could save you some pain. A number of years ago, there was a, a young man that had just tremendous potential in his life. And his stepdaughter was living in his home. And his stepdaughter dressed kind of scantily. And uh, I had to confront him. And he did the same thing you and I would do as he denied it. And I left the room. You'll remember. I left the room. And when I came back, there was this huddled little mass of a man in a ball in the corner with tears and snot coming all out of his. Because lust took him to a place 
he didn't want to go. This is a wonderful subject, and it's a dangerous subject. The third lesson, when David sent messengers to get her, the longer we look, the more difficult it becomes to walk away from the tempter's trap. Now, I don't know how many looks you give yourself, one for this eye and one for that eye and one for both eyes. I don't know, but here's what I know. The longer you look, the longer you allow yourself to participate, it's like you're just something, there's a pull that starts happening in your life. That's the way temptation works. It's the way lust works. The fourth lesson, when we cross one sexual boundary, it's easier to cross another. You start with porn, it'll take you somewhere else. Do you know David was a polygamist? That was his first mistake. He didn't honor the Genesis 2.24, a man and a woman. David had multiple wives. He had several wives. So it was much easier for her to, him to have adultery the third go-round. See, where you start is not where you're going to end up. Look at verse 5. Later Bathsheba sent David a message in saying, Oh, I'm pregnant. David sent... Now, now this is a defining moment. What do you do when you get caught? David sent word to Joab, the head of the military, send me Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Uriah comes home and David said, my buddy, my man, come on, give me five. How you doing? Come on home. Let's have some dinner. I want you to relax and just enjoy yourself. Job's told me how much you've been out there fighting and I want you to just have a good time. And uh, rather than going home to be with his wife, he slept at the front gate. He said, I won't dishonor the rest of the soldiers. David keeps scheming. David, verse 13, gets him drunk. But even that wouldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. So next morning, he wrote a letter to Joab, station Uriah on the front lines and pull back so he'll be killed. This was his friend. And you know, his friend Uriah took the seal letter that sealed his fate and didn't even know it. So not only did David have adultery, now David has mur murdered someone. Here's the lessons here. The fifth one, sin has, sexual, has consequences. You say, well, I don't have to worry about an unwanted pregnancy. I don't have to worry about abortion. I've got the morning after pill. Maybe. I used a condom. Well, did anybody ever tell you condoms don't always work? How about a sexually transmitted disease? But forget all those that you hear everywhere. How about a guilty conscience? I don't want to live with that. I don't want to cross the boundary and then try to stand up here in front of you. Come on. An angry husband or wife? I heard the other day there, there was a woman who caught another woman in her husband's bed. And even though they'd been divorced, she got in there and she started pulling the woman's hair out. I mean, come on. How about this one? A loss of respect from your children? Hurt your spouse? How about lose your ministry? How about have a lawsuit filed against you because you're the supervisor and you were accused. As long as y'all were getting it along and, and it was happy and you were having fun and going away at lunch, it was great. But when you got rid of her, when you were tired of her, and that's what much of sex is, it's using people. Once you got tired of her, she said she's going to get even and she files a lawsuit. How about go to jail? You say, oh, you don't go to jail for sex. You have sex with an underage person, friend, they'll put you in jail longer than they will for murder today. You're getting real quiet on me out there. Let me give you the sixth one. Pull back so he'll be killed. 
Sin will always take us further than we want to go. One sin will always lead to another, and the trap gets tighter. First it's adultery, then it's lying, then it's murder. You know, there's three options we have when we mess up. We can blame somebody else. I mean, no, that's what Adam and Eve did. When God asked Adam if they ate, God pointed a finger at his wife and said, it's her fault. And when he asked Eve about it, she pointed her finger at the devil and said, no, it's the serpent's fault. We can blame somebody else. Uh, we could do what David did, and this is what human nature tends to do. We lie and cover it up. After they ate, they hid themselves with fig leaves. But what will help you before God disciplines you is Proverbs 28, 13. If you conceal your sin, you won't prosper. But if you confess and forsake it, you find mercy. And I don't care where you are, if you are somewhere in this progression of immorality, the quicker you come to God, come on now, the better it's going to be. Somebody say praise the Lord. He's preaching better than we're, than we're amen in this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 12. You see, you might be able to hide from others, but you can't hide from God. Chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. There were two men. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. He was wealthy. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children, and he cuddled that little lamby in his arms just like a baby. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock for dinner, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. Surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do this deserves to die. And Nathan pointed his finger at him and said, You're the man. And fortunately for David, this was the defining moment when he threw up his hands and said, You're right. I don't think David tried to cover it up anymore. I don't think David tried to kill David, Nathan the prophet. You see, David was a man, as the New Testament describes, as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? He was, a, he was trying to genuinely live the Christian life just like you are and just like I am. But he let himself get trapped in temptation. And he brought destruction in their life. Listen, here's a lesson. Sooner or later, sin will be exposed. No matter how secretive we are, I mean, can say, God always knows. And here's another one, not only being exposed, but sooner or later, sin will have consequences. You say, well, what was the big deal with David? Well, the scripture says this. The scripture says, uh, from this time on, your household is going to rebel against you and your child will die. This child, born from the affair, died. But then David's kids all went crazy. One of David's sons raped his half-sister. So you got polygamy, you got this going on. He raped his half-sister. And then her brother killed the guy that raped her. And then you got Solomon, David's son. Solomon didn't have just a few wives. He had hundreds. And back then it was primarily for political alliances. But the Bible said not to because if you do, they'll lead you into idolatry. And that's exactly what happened. And under Solomon's kids, the whole kingdom was devastated and destroyed. And they lost the greatest kingdom that God ever built on the face of the earth. See, sin has consequences. Now look at verse 13. This is the good part. Uh, uh, and again, I stand before you today not as someone who has uh, never made a mistake. 
but someone that struggles with lust, someone that has to watch temptation, someone that has tried to adopt rules in life to keep me from falling, someone that tries not to go to places I shouldn't go, but someone that deals with this every bit as much as you do. Listen to verse 13. David's response to Nathan the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. Now it seems to me like he sinned against Uriah. It seems to me like he sinned against Bathsheba. And both of those are true. But most importantly, he'd sinned against God. See, it's not just the people that we hurt, but it's our Heavenly Father. This is a big deal to God. Our Heavenly Father. God designed something beautiful to be experienced in marriage between a husband and a wife. And our world and our culture has brought, filled it with so much, so much else. Uh, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. The Lord has forgiven you and you will not die. So what's the point of that, Pastor? In this room, in terms of sexual morality, I don't care what you've done. Heterosexual, homosexual, I don't care if you've raped somebody. I don't care if you have abused a child. I don't care if you are, are, are to this day a serial fornicator and adulterer. Listen, God can forgive you. God can wipe the past away and give you a brand new start and make your today better than your yesterday. Now listen, that doesn't say there won't be consequences. I know another man that was involved in church, loves God deeply, but crossed the line and, 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 and abused a little girl, and he's in jail today. He loves God. He's got a Bible study in jail. But there's consequences that follow the sinful practices of our life. But the most important one is this, friends. God loves you, and God loves me, and God can and will forgive us if we will just agree that his ways are the right ways, come on now, and the ways that I've gone, the pathway I've gone on was wrong, and I want to turn around and get on God's pathway. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. And let me tell you something about this church and about, about me. I don't care what you've done in terms of this sexual arena. I don't care about multiple divorces and oh, you just go everything, abortions and all along it. I don't care if heterosexual, homosexual, I don't care, transgender, whatever, all the stuff that's out there. I love you. I will love you and I will respect you and I will show you the, the respect and dignity any human being that's created in the image of God deserves. But also in my love, I'll tell you the truth because I want to see you get out of the ditch, come on, and not go further until it impacts your eternal soul. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. I'm about done. Well, I want to close with this. I want to close with a little short video that Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods is a, a, a I've been a fan for most of his career, uh, one of the greatest golfers that ever lived. But about 10 or 11 years ago, when he was kind of at the pinnacle of his success, he fell into sexual sin. And uh, he, it, it so caught up with him that uh, he had a news conference. And I want you to hear a little bit about what this man said, and I, I think it'll speak to you. Listen to, listen to Tiger Woods. I know I have bitterly disappointed all of you. I have made you question who I am and how I could have done the things I did. I'm embarrassed that I have put you in this position. The issue involved here was my repeated irresponsible behavior. I was unfaithful. I had affairs. I cheated. What I did is not acceptable. 
and I am the only person to blame. I stopped living by the core values that I was taught to believe in. I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I thought only about myself. I ran straight through the boundaries that a married couple should live by. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have far I didn't have to go far to find them. I was wrong. I was foolish. Well, I bet Tiger would agree with our central spiritual truth this morning. Living in God's sexual boundaries is the best way to live. Come on. I'm proud of what he did and what he said, but wouldn't it have been better if he could have stopped before he fell over the edge? Huh? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going we're gonna to close today. I want to close with this scripture that I would ask all of us, particularly those that are young, I'd like to ask all of us to listen to this scripture and perhaps let it be the commitment we make today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Let's all read this out loud together. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. And then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God. Bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. Holy Spirit, just as we asked before the sermon, we ask you to be especially near to us. We ask you to be near to us in this moment now. We stand before you, not one perfect person in this room. I dare say there's not one sinless person, lest it be a small child, in terms of this subject of sexual immorality. And today, Lord, we all come before you and we want to acknowledge that you are the one true God and you're the one that has the right to make the rules that govern our life. Today, God, we want to humbly ask you to forgive us. Anything that we've done wrong in the past, and just like David was forgiven, we receive your forgiveness. And I pray that all shame goes, all guilt goes, all second-class citizens, I pray all that stuff is gone, and we receive the cleansing of the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, I want to pray for any of us that may be in an immoral situation now it could be pornography whatever it is but anything the Holy Spirit has shown us through the scripture are personally convicted of and I want you to pray this now say Lord help me get out just pray that Lord help me get out and help me stay out because this thing has a strong pull and this trap is so dangerous because the bait is so strong it's so compelling help us Holy Spirit to get out and stay out 
even when we're weak. If you're single today, I, I, I want to pray for you right now, particularly you that are young. But Lord, I want to pray for every single person that's here. I want to pray that they would have, number one, the wisdom to embrace God's boundaries, and number two, the grace to live within them. Each one of us have a strong desire. Each one of us are pulled. But I pray that we would tap into the strength that God gives. And by the grace of God, we would live sexually pure lives as a single person. And if you're married, I want you to take your spouse by the hand. Linnell, come up and take my hand, honey. And I want you to just pray for your spouse just a second. And just say, Lord, help us to. First of all, we want to say thank you for the opportunity for enjoyment of sexual intimacy in marriage. We want to say thank you for the children that have come from our union. And God, we want to pray that there would be a renewed commitment to preserve purity and holiness in our marriage. Lord, that we would recognize the boundaries and we would stay clear. Holy Spirit, we just bless one another right now. And if there's been anything wrong in the past, we forgive. And Lord, we forgive just as God has forgiven us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us in this place in our marriage. And we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. He is worthy of our praise. I love you. Thanks for listening today. Lord willing, we'll continue next week with something uh, that's going to be beneficial to fathers. It'll be Father's Day, but we'll probably stay in this series somehow. It'll bless your family. I want to encourage you in this. Wednesday night, we have a very different kind of service, but it has just been tremendous. It is growing. Yeah, we used to call it a Holy Ghost night, and what it is, it's, we do a lot of worship, a lot of prayer, and we really encourage people to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, people are bringing testimonies, they're bringing scriptures, they're bringing prophetic words, and it is really, really cool, and I invite you to join us. Prayers at 630, and the service is at 7, just like the kids. I love you, Pastor Michael Close. Amen. As we close, we're going to do a couple things. We'll have our prayer team here to pray. We got a baptism. If you just celebrate with us, Pastor Travis is up there, and we got somebody who's going to get baptized, and we want to just celebrate with them as they go under the water to represent the death, burial, Jesus Christ. They come up brand new and just represent a new life. Amen. And let's have our altar team go ahead and come down now so we're ready to go with our prayer team. Amen. We have a special baptism. Please state your name and why you're being baptized today. My name is Taylor Ward, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart a few weeks ago, and I'm ready to just take the next step. Man, we're super proud yeah, of you, yeah. Taylor. There you go. Taylor lives at Grace House right now, and the Lord is just doing a great work in her life and the lives of a lot of people that are there. But let's extend our hand right now. Lord, we thank you for Taylor. We thank you for her commitment to follow you, to repent of her sins. God, we right now, we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Even if you've never been baptized, if you've just recently got given your life to the Lord, just call the church and we'll set up a time. We can do it at any of the services. But again, our altar team is up here. A message like this. You definitely want to agree with somebody. If you don't want to be specific, just say, hey, would you pray for me? But if you want to pray for anything, healing in your body, a relationship, we'll pray with you. But the most important question, are you right with God? Do you have a relationship with Him? Because I want to remind you, He loves you and has a plan for your life. 
But the only way you're going to realize that plan and his love is if you invite him into your life, ask him to forgive you, and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you and you need to get right with God, you've gotten off track, you need to ask him in for the first time, just stop over that cross. We'll be over there and we'll say our prayer with you. God bless. Grab some Father's Day invites on the way out by the front door and invite people to the car show. We'll see you next week. God bless.